how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. Timothy Greenberg was almost a scientist. Like many people from an early age, making movies didn't really seem like a real career until he met someone in the business and gave it a shot. Around the age of 30, he taught himself how to write screenplays. While writing features as a practice, he also started making shorts and then directed commercials and eventually got a job on The Daily Show. After 11 years on the show, he decided to pursue fiction writing once more. Currently, his credits include The Detour, Wyatt Scenic's Problem Areas, and the Paul Rudd-led's Netflix series Living With Yourself. For the new comedy drama, the description reads, A man undergoes an experimental treatment to improve his life, only to be replaced by a new and improved version of himself. In this interview, the writer-director talks about the difference in short and long content, why writers should think about projects that actually make money, how he handles idea creation, what to do when you lose touch with your own work, and why big premise concepts are universally enjoyed. If you enjoy this interview, join thousands of viewers for the new YouTube series, also called Creative Principles. In one of our recent episodes, we actually talk about enemy doppelgangers, such as this series and the new movie Gemini Man. I was in college, I, um, I, I thought I was going to be a scientist, you know, like a, I don't know exactly know what, because I'd always been sort of a science kid. And then halfway through, a friend of mine kind of forced me to take a documentary filmmaking class with him. And um, as part of that class, uh, we had to, in an exercise, I made like a short, funny video. And then um, the, the professor showed it to me, like it's sort of at the screening at the end of the year. And people laughed and liked it. And I thought, this is way better than being a scientist. <laughs> and um, I mean, I'd always loved movies. I just somehow, it didn't occur to me that you could do that as a job. Um, I don't know why. I just, I didn't think of myself that way. Um, and then, you know, that was kind of it. I, I definitely, my career took a lot of different paths. In my 20s, I got kind of off of filmmaking. Um, I had worked in games and I had a software company and then I just kind of fucking around for years, not really doing anything. And eventually I kind of, um, got my act together and started like in, around age 30 to really teach myself how to write in a way that I had never been taught previously. Just kind of got every book that was out there and read them all and started writing, um, and making, things, you know, like I was writing features, but making short films, um, because I always kind of felt like, like, I don't think of myself as a writer primarily, you know, like I was never going to write novels or anything. Like I, I always thought of myself as like a, 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 a person who tells stories through moving pictures, you know, whatever, however that might be. Um, 
so then I made short films, and that kind of eventually led to um, directing commercials, which then led me to getting a job at The Daily Show, where um, I spent almost 11 really incredible years as a writer, director, producer, um, and later as an executive producer, sort of running the department of the writer directors. Um, and then, but all along I kept writing and, um, uh, you know, once my career got to a point where people cared to hear from me, I was pitching different things. And, um, but this is the first thing that I wrote by myself to take out to Hollywood. I was at partners and, um, um, you know, I, I, thankfully enough, luckily enough by some miracle actually, you know, got made. Let's go back just a little bit. So around the time you were about to get on The Daily Show, you were making shorts and writing some longer pieces. What were what were some things you noticed about, let's just say, telling a complete story in short, short form versus long form? Yeah, I mean, long form is certainly harder. Um, you know, you've got more story to tell, and you've got to go deeper and longer and, you know, carry more narrative threads all at once and not bore people and, you know, um, although I guess like short has its challenges too, in that you need to say what you're going to say or tell the story you're going to tell very quickly. So that in some ways limits you, but you know, I, I think everything can be made tighter. Uh, e- e- you know, even the show that we just made, uh, I swear like two days ago, I was lying in bed thinking of some cuts that we could have made, like taking out this one storyline, which is insane. I mean, the thing is literally dropping on Friday, and I was going like, you know, you might be able to pull that, and then I would pull this up, you know. Um, but, uh, 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 you know, I mean, I think short, short is good because it's, you can bite it off and, one, you know, it's, it's, it's something that's a little more manageable. And also in terms of if you want to make the thing, which I did a few times, you know, that you can actually have the resources to make it. And I think people are willing to chip in on a short film. Whereas if you're making a feature, I think more people, crew and actors might actually want to get paid, you know? Um, uh, but, but at the end of the day, it's, it's kind of the same thing. You know, a story is a story and how you set up the character and how you, you know, um, tease out the plot and do the turns and, you know, how you consider what it's really about. Like, all that is kind of the same, a matter of length, really. What were some of the things you originally noticed that led you to writing and producing? So, so a lot of people who want to, let's say, they want to write and direct, they're so focused on the craft and their vision that they're not really thinking about the money side of things and really making career out of it. What kind of led you to view both sides of those as equal parts? Well, I think thinking is a job. Um, I mean, look, I suffer from, to some extent, where it's only recently where I thought the writer side of myself, you know, the narrative writer, uh, could get a job and earn a living at this. You know, there's many years where I was kind of writing quietly in my room and not really showing anyone. Um, and I think being very self-critical, uh, and yet I'd had some success like in directing things. So that's kind of what I thought. It's like, well, I guess I'll be a director. You know? um, but, you know, I'm, I was able to, at different points in my career, pay the rent doing that stuff. I mean, God knows I've had other jobs to support myself. Um, but, 
you know, once you get a little bit of success, like once, and it doesn't have to be much, once you get paid at all to do anything, right, to direct, you know, um, suddenly you realize, like, oh, somebody just paid me something to do this. Or, or, or even before I started getting paid, it was more like getting into festivals and that kind of thing, playing things for an audience and seeing that people actually like it. And once you start seeing that people like what you've done and that they're willing to sit and watch it, well, there's a value associated to that, you know. Um, and I think it's, I think it's, I don't know. You got to have both. You know, I got, I, I understand what you're saying about like, maybe some people don't think of it as a, as a job and they're just focused on the craft, but God knows there's people who, who think of it as a job uh, and don't focus on the, uh, the craft, you know? So I think it takes, it takes both sides. And sometimes you can get lost, you know, sometimes like, I definitely sometimes have to step back and think like, all right you were like a true like film connoisseur for many years, you know, on my shelf or all these fantastic films that, that, that are somewhere deep inside me, but I haven't really revisited them. Like, I feel like I could use a little bit more of the film student in me again, you know, to start kind of refilling that. Cause I've worked so long just doing it as a job that um, I kind of forget of like what inspired me originally sometimes. Um, but yeah, I mean, you have to understand just basically like, you're making something that's designed to entertain people and they have to want to spend their time and money to do that. So, you know, you need to make something that's like that and you need to put all the other pieces together to get to a point that you can do that. So where did you originally come up with this idea for living with yourself and what led you to wanting to make that into eight episodes versus maybe a movie or something like that? I had originally thought of like kind of a more, uh, I just had the basic premise um like a a man gets replaced by a slightly improved clone version of himself when he you know was um uh you know in sort of the way that the spa works and all that like basically the first episode i had had an idea as a first act for a movie many years ago and then i just put it in my you know in my idea folder and then um Years later, when John Stewart, you know, he worked at The Daily Show for many years, when John Stewart told us he was leaving the show, I kind of panicked and thought, like, oh, God, what am I doing with my career? And then the next morning in the shower, I thought of this, what had been a feature idea. And at that point, I'd been watching a lot of these, you know, very sort of narrative, dark comedy series um, start. To maybe maybe not as many at that time. I first had when I was first moving four years ago. But certainly a lot of narrative uh, stories that were shows that hadn't existed when I first had the idea, you know, years previously. And I kind of immediately thought like that there were a lot of turns within the story that I thought would just really lend itself well to a show. So, so there was that, but I mean, the other thing though, was that in terms of what the show ultimately became, like in that period, I'd gotten married and had a family. And so, you know, the show is about like that we are our own worst enemy and how do we, you know, relate to those around us and why aren't we better with the ones we love and that kind of thing. And that became like a much more pressing concern for me once I was married, because, um, you know, if you're a jerk and you're sitting in your apartment alone, it doesn't really matter. But if you're a jerk and you're with the person you love, then suddenly it matters a lot. And why can you not be better more often, you know? Because um, sometimes I am really just a wonderful, loving husband, and sometimes I'm a moke, you know? And why is that? Um, and so that became like kind of really like a daily conversation in my life, you know, sometimes with my wife. Um, and, uh, 
And then I thought, like, well, those two, uh, those two things, that my personal life and what's going on and that kind of fantastical story actually go very well together. And um, it all kind of clicked just standing in the shower that one morning in a way that I wish other things would click for me like that. <laughs> doesn't usually go like that. Um, and I had kind of – I just was instantly thought, like, this is going to work. And I, ju- I just – I mean, I hate to say it, but like, right from the beginning, I was like, you know what, this is going to work. I just, I just knew, even though it's stupid to say because it, it almost didn't work at many junctures, but I just knew this was going to work. And it, it did, ultimately. I mean, at least it got made. You know, whether it works, I think, is up to the viewer. But. So how did um, Paul Rudd get involved with this project? And as you were speaking, what was kind of the tone that you were going for with this piece? Well, Paul got involved, you know, the, the project had a very roundabout route. Pitched it around. The very last place we pitched was IFC, and they bought it. And then I wrote it for them, and then it died there. Um, and then we took it back out and sold it to Netflix. And once we got to Netflix, we had the ability to get to somebody like a Paul, and he was the top of Netflix's list and top of our list. Um, and we went to him, and he liked it. Um, thank God. And. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was kind of a dream come true because he had been our, at the top of our list way at the very beginning when you're just kind of operating in fantasy land about who do you want in this, you know? Um, he was our number one choice. And so the fact that it worked out is just astounding to me still. Um, and as far as the tone, you know, it's interesting because I think, I think one of the great things about uh, working with Paul and with also uh, – Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris, who are the directors, um, was that we all, and I think because I had all eight scripts, or, you know, and everybody could read it, I think the tone was kind of clear, but I think we all agreed right from the get-go exactly what the tone was. And it's, I don't know how to describe it exactly other than watch the show, but, you know, it's a mix of drama and comedy. It's a mix of sort of dark, serious things and absurd, you know. I don't really, I've seen people describe it as part of it as slapstick. I don't really know. I can't think of anything like that, but there's certainly things that are sillier and things that are funny in a different way and things that are not funny at all. You know, it's certainly not primarily a comedy. Like I was always kind of nervous about Netflix or anyone pitching it as a comedy because it's funny, but if I would make it strictly a comedy, I would make it a lot funnier. (laughs) Like it's, it allows itself to be not funny for stretches. Um, uh, so yeah, the tone was like, is, was utterly crucial to us. And then in, in right up to the end, you know, and we would say, I know that I've seen people comparing it to multiplicity, but like, we would say the opposite, you know, that Michael Keaton movie back from the eighties, what, what we would say is like, if there's anything that started to feel like multiplicity, um, meaning in its tone and that it was like a broad comedy, we would pull back. Cause that wasn't what we were making. We weren't making kind of a broad comedy. We were making something that was supposed to feel more grounded. What would you say, like, what was some of the reasoning of making a series like this today? I mean, there's always been issues of self-improvement in life, as you've said, but I know I've read articles about how millennials are, at least according to some writers' opinions, like some of the most, like, perfectionists, I guess, like, generation after generation are coming more and more about perfectionism. How does that kind of relate to this story of really about self-identity? Yeah, it's funny. I wasn't really totally aware of that, but I've now heard it um, in a few of these interviews, including from some millennials who said that they feel like um, their generation, it is just that, that they are perfectionists and that they feel like 
you know, they wonder maybe why their life isn't as fantastic as what they see in the postings of their friends or maybe famous or rich people. I don't know, but that, that it does, you know, I've only heard that, that that younger generation has a bit of that sort of, what is the point of all this and why am I not where I'm supposed to be kind of questions. So, I mean, I think just by coincidence, this, this is about that. Um, uh, you know, I have experienced all of those things. So that's why it's about it for me as a writer, but if it happens to be that um, the younger generation, who I don't even really know, you know, because I, I have kids, but they're little. Um, so the, the sort of early 20-somethings, um, I don't interact with all that much. So uh, if if this connects with them, fantastic, you know. I mean, I, I think part of that, if that is true, then is because it's a perennial question. You know, I mean, it's we've all asked that, like, why are we stuck where we are and why aren't things better? And, um, you know, um, uh, so I think, I think that that question is always relevant. And I I hope for this generation's coming up that it's not too overwhelming because it's not a fun place to be in. Tell me a little bit, a little bit about your outlining process and story process. So when you decided you were going to make, um, eight episodes, was it more difficult or less difficult? Do you feel like there's, more story to tell or how did you kind of fill out the pages for this? I like the, uh, episodic structure like this, where you're both telling a narrative story, you know, from the beginning of the season to the end, but you're telling, you know, smaller stories within each episode. Um, because it gives you, um, these kind of narrative signposts, you know, as you go along, like I visualize it like a, like a, um, circus tent, you know, you have these, these tent poles, um, that are the end of each episode where there's a big significant turn. And, you know, often that's kind of a cliffhanger sort of thing, but it's more just a story turn. Um, and that you string the kind of narrative between each of those, you know? So like once I, I kind of had pretty much figured out what those turns were, originally it was 10 episodes. Um, and then it later became eight, which was a good thing, you know? Um, uh, you know, once I had those turns, then it was sort of much easier to um, write kind of the, the, the story in between. Um, you know, I think sometimes I find it trickier with a feature where, you know, obviously features should also have those turns and be broken down by scenes and sequences and that kind of thing, but it's a bit more amorphous. You know, you don't literally have breaks, and so you have to kind of create that structure in a feature um, in a way that I find just is harder than with this, where it's like you have a certain structure built in by the whole notion of episodes. And I find it like a really, really fun way to write. And I hope I get to keep doing it because um, it's just, it's just really exciting way to write. And I think viewers from what I've heard seem to like the the cliffhanger thing that keeps you going. I mean, they think of it in terms of like, it makes it bingeable. Like you want to go on next episode, but I think of it more in just, it, it helps you tell the story that way. So I've spoken with a few writers and creators who have worked with Netflix, and I've heard nothing but good things. Um, can you give us any insight on any notes they give you or anything to do with the algorithm? Like how are they kind of turning out so many hits and, and finding these great projects? Are they turning out lots of hits? I mean, or are they turning out a lot of material, some of which are hits? I, I actually don't know the answer to that. Um, and you, you, you or the audience might know better than me. Um, uh, 
All I can tell you is my personal experience. And my experience was it felt like when I went in and pitched them that I was talking to everybody that they needed to talk to to greenlight the show. And it wasn't that big a room. There's not that many people. It's a fairly small, I they say, in the comedy department. And obviously, the comedy department does a lot of different flavors of comedy. You know, not some of it's pretty dramatic, you know. But they, you were talking directly to the people who could make it happen or not, and that, and thus, it feels like they're operating from a place of if they like something, they'll move forward with it. Um, whereas sometimes you feel like you're pitching something, and they're almost afraid to say yes or to say no. They're afraid to do anything, you know? And Netflix at least felt like I didn't get that same sense of kind of fear that you sometimes feel, like a fear of failure in other places, you know? So that was cool. I mean, I certainly, they do have, I don't know, I mean, I I don't know if there's more in features than TV. I do know in features they have some of this, but um, they definitely have ideas about, like, what works for them. You know, uh, I don't know if they told me this or I just kind of intuited that one reason that this show works for them and maybe why other similar shows that they've done is that the premise is something that can, uh, you know, go internationally that um, you, anybody across the world can get the sort of, you know, sci-fi notion of what happens if there was another you. Um, and they're an international company. You know, I think 50 of their 100 million viewers are not in the United States um, or 100 million accounts. Um so they need to, and then I think much of their growth, this is just me now looking at like as a stockholder, that, um, that uh, uh, their growth is going to come internationally. So I think they need to tell certain stories that like, work in uh, foreign markets as well. Um, but luckily for me, I like telling those kinds of stories, you know, the things that do have kind of a big hook and a big premise that can work, even um, if you have sort of different cultural references. Um, I don't know. Did that answer your question? Yeah, definitely. I think that's the way all the studios are kind of going as well with making sure it works here and in China, at least with the big budget things. So you mentioned, I'm not sure if this was just like a metaphor, but you mentioned having an idea fuller. Can you tell me a little bit about what that looks like and um, how you maybe filter ideas or know when to go back and work on something over the years? I feel like, I mean, obviously you want to have the kind of basics of is this a character who has a great desire and it will be very difficult to achieve for them to achieve that desire and, you know, yet whether, and likable is not quite the right way, but whether that character is somebody that you won't want to watch as they struggle to achieve that desire. So that's just kind of like, you know, the basic mechanics of it. But after that, I feel like, um, it's just like, do I connect with it? You know, like I've written things. I wrote, I just found in, in a folder, this thing that I wrote like four years ago. It's a feature. It's kind of a sort of a horror with a bit of comedy feature set in the woods. It's totally ready to go. Somebody could make it as a movie. Um, I just didn't want to make it. I just didn't really connect with it. Even though I wrote, wrote it, I just like, you know, I don't know. I just, I don't really care about this. You know, I wouldn't really watch it. Like, I don't know. And if anybody wants to make it, feel free to email me. Cause like, you know, I got it. Um, but, uh, uh, I think it's like, you have to just kind of at some gut level be like, yes, I like this idea. I want to write this. 
I want to, maybe it's sort of the equivalent of like, I would watch this. Like for me, that's certainly something. Um, at some point you have to get into the screens of like, does this, will this actually, um, is this possible that it would sell? Like I worked on something for literally 20 years. This project it was insane. I traveled the world researching this. I went to London and spent three weeks in the Royal Society Museum. I sailed on like replica 17th century the ships. I like learned how to do the sails and all this stuff. I mean, it's the most crazy stuff. I spent so many years writing this thing. Nobody's going to make it because it's super dark and it's set in the 1700s and it's really expensive and it's, it's got something like a very fantastical creature, but it's about death and the guy is dying and it's like, there's no way. I mean, maybe if you had got like a Spielberg or somebody who could also could probably help rewrite it because it's definitely not there yet. It's still not there yet after 20 years. But so I think you have to have like a little bit of a screen of like, why would somebody do this? You don't want to let that get in the way of your, of your, like your vision and your voice, but it, you know, you don't want to just like spend years on something only to realize like, well, hold on. There's some reason why this is impossible, you know? Um, so I think it's but primarily for me, I think it's just, do you really look at the idea and go like, that's a good idea. I want to do that. I don't, I would watch that show or movie. Is that helpful, or is that like, like, do you have any further questions? Because I feel like there's more to be, a lot more to be said about that, but that's kind of the simple answer. Yeah. Well, I think there's something beneficial in kind of pursuing that, even though you kind of maybe knew it wouldn't get made, like just spending that time on something and then moving to the next thing. Is there anything else we missed that you might want to say about living with yourself or any future projects you're working on? I mean, not really. I'm writing... Um, a number of other things right now uh, that I like. And, you know, I think if you like this, you would like those. Um, they vary. Some are, one is definitely more dramatic and kind of much bigger in scope. And another one is actually sort of the opposite. It's a lot more fun and a little less, um, I don't know, it's just more fun and a little bit more comedic. Um, but nothing that, like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not ready to pitch to the world those ideas yet. I mean, I'm, some of them I'm actually making for somebody, but we're not we're not taking them out yet. Um, I don't know. And you know, maybe I don't know if people keep asking about future seasons of this. I've kind of just purposefully not thought about it. Um, and you know, if all the interested parties, starting with Netflix and Paul and everybody else, want to do another one, well, you know, we'll, we'll think about it. I mean, I have a million ideas for it, but um, I'm not worrying about it too much right now. Thank you for tuning into this show. If this is your first time listening, please log on to iTunes or SoundCloud and give us a rating. Providing a rating or sharing content is one of the best ways to help the series grow. Make sure to also follow or like us on your favorite platforms like Instagram, Facebook, or the new YouTube series we've started. And check for daily updates over at creativeprinciples.live.